Thank you for joining us. Today, we will be listening to Pastor Margaret Mendenhall as she teaches us principles from God's Word. Well, uh, last time I ministered, it was on Easter Sunday, and, uh, you know, the world calls it Easter. We call it Resurrection Sunday. But we had uh, 16 salvations that morning, and it was, to me, that was phenomenal. Every one salvation is phenomenal, but 16 is awesome. And so... uh, I was so tickled, you know, that God did what we asked him to do, thanked him. And then I realized, you know, sometimes people, we, we get people born again, and then we just kind of turn them loose to maybe receive information like through osmosis or something. But we don't tell them how to live a victorious Christian life necessarily, And we just assume that they're going to know some things. And uh, so we don't teach on some subjects. This is a subject I'm going to teach on this morning. uh, I want to start with, uh, well, let me just tell you how I was raised. Why I know this. I was raised in a denomination that... uh, I never really knew whether I was going to go to heaven or not. You know, on on Easter Sunday, we talked, we ended with, is your name in that book? And so uh, I didn't know for sure if my name was in that book. I didn't know how you got your name in the book. I just, you know, I went down to the altar every time there was an altar call and I'd cry and, and pray and then assume that maybe my name was in the book, but I didn't know for sure. And uh, I kind of got this impression, now I don't know if they taught us, but I kind of got this impression that um, there was these giant angels up in heaven standing over the Lamb's Book of Life. And every time you went to the altar, they wrote your name down. And then if you sinned even the next day, then there was this other giant angel with an eraser. And he had this giant eraser where he would erase your name out. And then if the next day you repented, then they would write it back. And then the eraser would come out the next time you sinned. And so I didn't know for sure where I was at in that process. And, you know, I'm sure as I was growing up, I was born again when I was in the third grade. And, uh, but I didn't know I was born again then. I made a confession of faith, but I didn't know. I didn't know how to stay born again. And I guess I was just thinking that maybe the the angels wore out a lot of pencils and erasers while I was growing up. And so (laughs) that's, you know, I I remember the day. This was when, when Pastor Charlie was going to Ramah, and I was working at Cameron Corporation, and uh. I was in my boss's office running off something on the Xerox machine, and all of a sudden, I realized, you know what? I'm going to go to heaven. Now, you may think that was really kind of silly, but up until that time, although we had been feeding the Word in us for, for a few years, and I began to get the truth of the Word, all of a sudden, it dawned on me, I am actually going to go to heaven. 
Now, I don't know if any of you were in that position like I was, but uh, it's part of it depends on how you were taught or how you raised. You were raised, and I, I just this morning, I thought, you know, there may be some people out here, because I had a text that said, um, if I sin, will my name be taken out of the Lamb's Book of Life? And that started me studying the word. I wanted to answer that question scripturally. So I'm going to start uh, with just going through what Romans 10, 9, and 10 says. This is the way you get born again. Okay? That Sunday, we led all of those that came forward into this, this particular process of getting born again. So Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, Because if you acknowledge and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you believe, you adhere to, you trust in, and you rely on the truth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes... They adhere to, they adhere to, they trust in, and they rely on Christ, and so are justified, declared righteous. You might want to underline that. Declared righteous, acceptable to God, and with the mouth he confesses and declares openly and speaks out freely his faith and confirms his salvation. So for everyone in this place this morning, if you did that, the Bible says a few things about you that you need to know for sure. First of all, that you are saved, that you are justified, and justified means you are declared righteous and acceptable to God. So that word righteous sometimes puzzles us because um, we have an idea that if you're going to be righteous, you have to be perfect. But the Bible talks about righteousness as a gift. Now let me just read to you uh, what Romans 5.17 says. See, this is God's plan for all of us when we're born again. His plan is not just that we're going to miss heaven. I mean, miss hell, excuse me. <laughs> Fill in the blanks there. Uh, his plan is not that we're going to just go to heaven and miss hell. His plan is that he wants to make a group of people righteous. So listen to Romans 5.17. For if because of one man's trespass, their, his lapse or his offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, his unmerited favor, and what does the next phrase say? The free gift of righteousness, putting them in right standing with him. Leave that up there just a minute. The meaning of righteous means that you are in right standing with God. See, sin caused the human race to not be in right standing with God. 
not in fellowship with God, separated from God. But when Jesus came and shed his blood, and we talked about that on Easter Sunday, then he is now willing and able and can actually now give to you a gift of righteousness. Hallelujah. And put us into right standing with him. And this is what will happen when that, whenever you are righteous. Now, this is God's plan for every one of us. That they will reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. He wants us to reign in life. So now what does that mean, to reign in life? As kings. Now, if you was a king, how would you live? Different than maybe you're living now. Well, let's just think about what, what does living like a king actually mean? It means that we have authority, right? It means that what we say counts. It makes a difference. If you was a king, do you think you would have a pretty prosperous lifestyle? I think you would have all of your needs met, don't you? I think you would be pretty prosperous. God's plan, when he made you righteous, he gave you benefits of righteousness. And those benefits means that you can rule and reign as a king in life. Now, to demonstrate, I have, I have a little demonstration here somewhere. A little demonstration, where are you? Here they come. Ah. Oh. Here's my little demonstration this morning. I just couldn't hardly stand not to do this. What we have here is my great-grandson. Actually, he's my eighth grandchild. Hi, little Everett. Lola calls him Ebbett. Hi, little Ebbett. What do you think of all these people? Isn't he adorable? You know, little Ebbett is in total right standing with great Mimi. He gives me a kiss all the time. He's in total right standing with me. But you know what? He did not earn that. He didn't earn right standing through his performance. He earned right standing through his birth. Because he was birthed into... Oh, I know. Would you like to preach for me today? <laughs> He's in right standing because of who he was born to. He was born into my family. And automatically, the minute he was born, he came into right standing with me. I gave him the gift of righteousness. I gave him the gift of right standing. Now, he did not perform in any way to earn it. No way. I just love this child. I love him because he belongs to me. That's why I love him, not because he performs well. You know, rumor has it that he has messed his pants. <laughs> and you know, that is not the right thing to do. But we love you anyway. But you know, 
messing his pants does not determine whether I love him or not or whether he's still in right standing with me. It might, it might have some bearing on our fellowship <laughs> until he gets it changed. And you know one thing about this little one? I, I don't know if all little ones are this way, but I know that when he messes his pants, he is very miserable. He is very uncomfortable, and he cannot wait until he gets those diapers changed. So my little example this morning is exactly what happens in the life of a born-again Christian. When they are born into the kingdom of God, immediately, God says, boy, aren't you cute. I just love you. You are special to me. And he hands us a gift of righteousness. So let's give little Ebbett a big hand. Thank you, Ebbett. You did so good. So God hands us that gift of righteousness because he wants fellowship with us. So the question that we have whenever we're born again, we have this gift of righteousness, is it just automatically there? Does it stay there? What happens when I sin? So this is, this is not my favorite message. I'm sure it's not your favorite message. But, you know, we don't talk about sin very much in the church. But let me tell you, sin is a real thing. There is, people are uh, falling away from God because they have sinned and they don't know what to do with it. And so this morning, I want to just share some things about sin that you need to know. Now, the first thing you need to know, God hates sin. You know why God hates sin? Because of what it does to you and me. Just like I do not like dirty diapers. They're just, they're uncomfortable. It's not real. It, to tell you the truth, they stink. Sin stinks. And uh, God, but, and so God hates sin. He does not condone sin. You need to write that down. God does not condone sin. He makes provision for sin. So uh, some people would say, well, um, what is sin? You know, my, my denomination that I went to kind of tried to spell out what sin was. Um, they told me, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And you're not supposed to wear makeup. You're not supposed to... Uh, you know, in my day, they were, I wasn't supposed to wear jeans, slacks. I mean, you, you, there was a lot of things that was wrong. And so they told me what not to do. They didn't necessarily tell me what to do, but they told me what not to do. So I'm going to tell you this morning what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do and what not to do. I'm just going to tell you that sin is doing something God told you not to do or not doing something he told you to do. 
That's sin in its simplest form. First uh, John 3 verse 4 uh, says, Everyone who commits or practices sin is guilty of lawlessness, for that is what sin is. Lawlessness is the breaking and violating of God's laws by transgression or neglect, unrestrained and unregulated by his commands and his will. If we are unrestrained, if we're not restrained by God's will, we're not regulated by God's will, then that's sin. So uh, the Bible tells us that all... All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've sinned, I've sinned, but we tend to think of that as, well, that's before we got born again. Yes, we were, we did sin before we get, got born again, but afterwards we're expected not to sin. I'm not going to have a show of hands this morning, but uh, I just uh, let you ask yourself this question. How many of you have sinned since you were born again? I per- maybe I should ask this question. How many, how many of you have not sinned since you were born again? See, I didn't raise my hand either. So we have to learn what we need to do with sin. Because it's out there, and you're going to be tempted. The Bible tells us that we're tempted in all p- points. All points. All of us are tempted the same. We are going to have temptation. But it also says that he makes a way of escape for us. Those temptations are not so so strong that we cannot resist them. You need to internalize that. There is no sin, no sin that could come into your life. Not one sin that you cannot resist. You need to know that. God always makes a way of escape so that we can resist that temptation that comes our way. We do have a devil that we have to fight. And he is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. And Jesus went to the cross. He shed his blood so that we can be forgiven of our sins. And God expects us to move into a place just like little Ebbett is going to do. Little by little, he is going to grow and he is going to see what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. His parents are going to teach him. And if his parents don't teach him, I know his grandparents will teach him. And if his grandparents don't teach him, his great Mimi will teach him. Will teach him what is acceptable. See, there is a lifestyle that a Christian lives. It's not just to please God. It's to be a witness of Jesus on this earth. If we could see the atonement the way that God sees the atonement, we would relax, we would enjoy life, and we would follow God more easily. Can you put up that little gram? I don't know if you can see this real well, but... I'll try to interpret it for you. Um, this was a, uh, was a picture that was drawn by an angel. I don't know if any of you have heard of Roland Buck. 
But uh, in 19, it was in the 78s or 79, he began to have visitations from angels. And they would explain some things to him from the word of God. And, uh, you know, you can take it or leave it, but it all lines up with the word of God. And I love to hear from the other side personally, because God knows more than we do. And I love to know what he knows. And so uh, the first part there, that little circle at the top, it says from God's point of view, how God sees things. So, So he's looking down from heaven. I don't know if I can even read that or not, and I don't have a copy of it. Oh, I can sit better here? Okay, sure I can. Okay, from God's view is uh, in that little circle, God's looking down, and he sees a Christian that is under the atonement, under the blood of Jesus. He sees them holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. Underneath, we may still sin and have faults and failures, but God does not see as man sees. Then we see at the bottom from man's uh, view, they see all the sins. We see all the faults. We see all the failures. And that's what bugs us. And that's why we criticize each other or even criticize ourselves uh, and think that we're not, we're not holy that we're not worthy, that somebody else over here is way more worthy than we are, that looks more holy. But from God's view, when you're covered with the blood of Jesus, he sees you as holy, he sees you as unblameable, and he sees you as unreprovable. Or he's... In parentheses under that, it has perfection. Can we attain to that here on this earth? In our eyes, maybe not. But so so the question is then, okay, well, then I can just go ahead and sin and it's okay. No. When you sin, you move out from under that atonement and you need to maintain your righteousness. You need to maintain it and move back under the atonement. How do you do that? Well, I want to read uh, 1 John 1, 9. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and true to his own nature and promises and will forgive our sins, dismiss our lawlessness, and continuously, listen, continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness, everything, everything not in conformity to his will in purpose, thought, and action. To maintain, it's kind of, we have to maintain our relationship, I mean our fellowship with God. Our relationship is intact. But sin will separate us from uh, fellowship with God. The Bible tells us that our iniquities will separate. It doesn't separate God from us. It separates us from God because we have a sense of guilt and condemnation. When we sin, there is something that happens on the inside of us if we're born again. The Bible tells us uh, in uh, 1, 2 Corinthians 7, 10, 
says, for godly grief and the pain God is permitted to direct produces a repentance. Now, I want to just talk for a minute about repentance. Repentance is not just being sorry. Mark uh, 6, 12 gives us a definition of repentance. It says that they should repent, that is, that they should change their minds for the better and heartily amend their ways with abhorrence for their past sins. It talks about, throughout the Bible, it talks about the fear of God being that you hate evil, that you hate sin. And uh, this scripture in 2 Corinthians 7.10 says there is a pain that should happen. If you're truly born again, you don't feel real good when you sin. I don't know if you've experienced it. None of you raised your hand and said that you hadn't sinned. So I just want to ask you, you don't have to raise your hand this time either, but when you sinned, uh, did it cause you to be miserable? Somebody said yes. I can vouch for that. There is nothing more miserable. I mean, I could tell you stories of how it's so miserable until you repent. I don't have time for a story, but... Uh, I've told it many times, but it was a time that pastor had told me not to spend any money when I went into the mall. Remember that one? And I saw this blouse that was perfect. So I rationalized, well, he owes me some allowance, so I'm just going to buy it. Got back in the car, and um, he said, did you spend any money? I said, no. (laughs) That's how holy I am. And we just went on, and I mean that ate at me. For a solid week, I heard this liar, liar, liar. I was so miserable. I, I tried to reason it out. Yeah, but it was my money after all. Yeah, but you said no, you didn't spend it. Yeah, but I didn't have an excuse for that. But uh, finally, I thought, you know, if I tell him I lied, he will immediately go to the divorce court, and, and he will divorce me. And I, I just, I went back and forth, and so we had taken a trip to Oklahoma City to a pastor's uh, meeting, and I thought, I can't handle this anymore. So I just said, okay, I'm just, divorced or not, he might kick me out of the car. I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm going to tell him. I said, I have something to tell you. You know, when you asked me if I spent any money, I said, no, I did. I spent some money. And I told him why and all this stuff. And he said, oh, okay. I said, okay. I mean, no divorce, no kicking me out. That easy. And the load was total gone off of me. I thought, well, that was easy. Why did I wait so long? Why did I go through all of that misery and and refuse to repent? See, repentance is the key to staying in right fellowship with the Lord and keeping you from being so miserable. The Bible tells us in Romans, the 8th chapter, I think it's the 6th verse, it talks about that uh, even though the wages, of, that the wages of sin is death, but now the mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit, is death, death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin both here and hereafter. Yes, 
Sin has misery. And the Bible tells us in Romans, the, um, I, mean, I wrote it down here, uh, Romans, Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You know what grace is? Grace is God's ability working in you, creating the power to do and the ability to do what you can't do on your own. So every sin that you have ever had in your life or that you will have in your life, God has enough grace for you to do what you need to do to get rid of it. His grace abounds bigger than the sin. You may say, but I'm addicted. So God's grace is bigger. It abounds more than that sin. And if you get miserable enough, you can appropriate that grace in your life and move into a place where you can have freedom in your life. That's what God wants for us. He hates sin because he knows what sin does for us. It opens the door for the devil to come into our lives to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he loves us so much that he doesn't want to see what the devil has planned for you to come to pass. He wants you free and to be a witness and a testimony for him. You know, you, I pretty much have to have a cat story almost every time I minister. But I love cats, and I have had in the past, I've had many uh, cats. In fact, at one time, I think I might have had 16 cats. And if some of Doug's cats were visiting, there was more. And uh, so I have, have had all these cats, and I loved every one of them. They all stayed outside, of course. But little by little, they would disappear here and there and here and there. And uh, in my lightning fast mind, I realized there was something out there that was destroying these cats. And sure enough, you know, uh, we saw a coyote come into our yard one evening, and that coyote was killing my cats. And so all of my cats disappeared, except I have finally have just one cat. And this cat's name is Stinky. This is Stinky. And you say, what a gorgeous cat to have such an awful name. Well, that's Pastor Charlie's fault. He, he called her Stinky, and the name stuck, and I tried to call her other things, and then Charlie would just go and call her Stinky. And she would come. I finally said, okay, Stinky it is. I mean, so this is Stinky. Uh, we had her in the house, the house for a while to protect her, but... Uh, because of health reasons, I decided I needed to move her outside. So we moved her into her own condominium. It was, it's our uh, Mueller shed, big shed. We, keep, we can keep two pickups in it and all of Pastor Charlie's junk from 40-some years is in that shed. And I mean, it has a high-rise in it. It has everything that she needs. It has a... Uh, it has a um, Indoor bathroom. You know, we have to change it every once in a while. But, and I feed her a can of wet cat food at night. She has dry cat food all the time. This is a very 
very well-treated pampered cat. And I let her out every morning, but when it comes time to go to bed at night and it starts getting dark, I know there's predators out there. And so I call, and Doug probably hears me, hair stanky, and I have to put the accent on it. And she finally comes, but she does not want to go in that shed. And she'll do everything that she can. She'll roll, she'll sit there looking. Finally, sometimes I just have to pick her up and put her in. And I say, now listen, Stinky, this is for your own good. There is, there is animals out there that wants to kill you. And I love you so much that I want to protect you. So, good night, Stinky, love you. And I shut her in. That's the way God feels about us. I mean, he doesn't call us stinky or anything. But he loves us so much that he doesn't want what sin does to us. Now, in this scripture that I read of 2 Corinthians 7.10, it said, I didn't get to read it all, for godly grief and pain God is permitted to direct produces a repentance that leads and contributes to salvation and deliverance from evil. And it never brings regret. But worldly grief, the hopeless sorrow that is characteristic of the pagan world, is deadly breeding and ending in death. There's two kinds of grief that can come into your life when you sin. The first kind is this true repentance. This is the repentance where you hate the sin. You abhor the sin. I've seen people that... uh, you know, they live in drugs and different things. They go to prison and then they get out. I mean, they might have an experience with the Lord while they're in prison. They get out and then they go right back into what they had been put in jail for. And it always puzzles me. And I asked uh, Terry Grice. He's been out of prison for quite a while. He's been free from drugs for over 20 years. I said, what makes the difference between you and some of those others? And he said, because I hated what I was doing. I hated the sin. If we hate the sin, it pushes us into deliverance and true salvation where we can walk with God hand in hand. But the worldly grief is hating yourself for sinning. Peter, when he denied Jesus, he had the, the godly kind of grief. He went out and he cried and he, he repented for, for denying Jesus. And you know what happened to him? He turned into be one of the greatest evangelists that is in the New Testament. But Judas... He repented only to the ones that had given him the money. They said, shoot... What's that to us? We don't care about what, how you're feeling. And so he hated himself for sinning and he went and hung himself. That's what many people do when they sin. They hate themselves for sinning. God doesn't hate you for sinning. He doesn't even dislike you when you sin. He still loves you. He just knows what sin will do and he wants you to repent and get deliverance from it. That's what he wants. He wants to shut you in, in that secret place, under the atonement, so the devil can't touch you. 
So our process, our process should be, let me just read you um, Philippians 2, starting with verse 12. So work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust and serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watching, uh, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking, this is, this is the key, from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Working out our own salvation. Working it out. But this is the good news, not in your own strength. For it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating, hallelujah, energizing and creating in you the power and the desire, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, satisfaction, and delight. Hallelujah. God's going to work with you, just like Cheyenne and C.E.'s going to work with little effort. So that there'll be a day that he'll run in here and he'll be a delight. He's already a delight. But he will be a delight to everyone and then he will be a blessing to humanity. And you and I will be witnesses as we go out into the world of what Jesus Christ really is like. That's the way to walk victorious. And we're going to take communion this morning. We do it the first uh, Sunday of every month. And uh, pastor used this scripture a lot. It's in 1 Corinthians 11th chapter where it talks about judging yourself. Let me just read 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. For if we certainly examine ourselves, detecting our shortcomings and recognizing our own condition. See, that's the first step in true repentance. We should not be judged, says, if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged, and penalty decreed by the divine judgment. But when we fall short and are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined and chastened so that we may not finally be condemned to eternal punishment along with the world. Judging ourselves is so important. Just checking out how's my spiritual life? How's my relationship with the Lord? How's, is there any sin in my life I need to confess? You may say, well, no, I'm not committing adultery. I'm not robbing banks. I'm, uh, but, you know, uh, the Bible tells us that if you don't forgive, that's a sin. It says, if uh, we don't walk in love, that's a sin. Because God's, that's God's commandment is that we walk in love. So, we, we make some adjustments in our lives when we judge ourselves. Because if we don't judge ourselves, then God will judge us. How does he judge us? He brings the sin to light. And then we have to deal with it. I would rather deal with it in my bedroom than on the front page of the newspaper. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.